0: Hi everybody, it's Steve Matthews here. Welcome to Radio Luke's Lucid episode 33. The title of today's episode is The Catholicism of Joe Biden. Now I wanted to say a big welcome to everyone and a, a happy Reformation Day. Today is October 31st, 2020. That's the day I'm recording this. And of course, this is the 503rd anniversary of Martin Luther's heroic act of nailing his 95 thesis to the door, the church door in Wittenberg. And uh, Martin Luther changed the world uh, this day, 503 years ago. That was a huge event, and it's something that we we ought always to keep in mind. And I'm I'm more than happy uh, to to wish everyone a, a very happy Reformation Day. Well, today we're going to be talking some... On this Reformation Day, uh, about a, a an issue that I guess really is a, is a pretty good tie-in for Reformation Day, we're going to be talking about the Catholicism of Joe Biden. You know, it, it's kind of interesting because when you read critiques of Joe Biden, you, you know, and I'm talking here critiques from conservatives, for example, you have a lot of conservatives point out the fact that you know he's mixed up with some pretty radical people. You know the that uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the Democrats and what have you that are behind the scenes that he's working with are very radical progressive people. Even though Joe Biden himself seems like a, a pretty yeah kind of mainstreamish guy, at least that's the persona that he gives off. And but there's a lot of talk about all the influence that the progressives have on him. But what I want to talk about today is not really the influence of the progressives. What I want to talk about is the influence of the Pope and of the Roman Catholic Church on Joe Biden. And this is something that's hardly ever discussed at all. Now, there was a a story, of course, uh, I shouldn't say of course, but there was a story, it's kind of a funny story, about the first Roman Catholic who was ever a major party nominee uh, on the uh, on the Democratic ticket, the name of that uh, gentleman was uh, Al Smith, and Al Smith won the Democratic nomination in 1928, and he ran against Herbert Hoover, and he lost. And at the time that he was he got his nomination, there were a lot of Americans who expressed some concern about the uh, the fact that there was a Roman Catholic for the first time heading up a, a major party presidential ticket. And there were a number of articles written, and people were challenging Al Smith on on various aspects of, of Roman Catholic doctrine. This was a new thing, and it was kind of a big deal. And someone once came to to Al Smith. At least this is the way the story goes. And they they told him, "Well, you know, you know, uh, you're being challenged on on the basis of a lot of statements that are made in various papal encyclicals." And the story goes that Al Smith looked at this fellow, and in his response to him was, would somebody please tell me what the blank papal encyclical is? I'm not going to say the actual word that Al Smith used. (laughs) This this is a Christian radio program, so I'm not going to use the word that he actually used. But but he said, would somebody please tell me what the blank papal encyclical is? Kind of a funny story. Now, I, I don't know if Al Smith was really that ignorant of it. I don't know if that's a true story or not. But that's the that's the story anyway, and it, it's kind of a kind of a funny story. Uh, of course, 32 years later, in 1960, uh, another Roman Catholic headed up the uh, the Democratic Party ticket, and that was uh, John Kennedy. Now, unlike Al Smith in 1928, John Kennedy won the election in 1960 against Richard Nixon and he became America's first Roman Catholic president now one of the things that was interesting in the lead up to the election uh, in the in the fall of 1960 Kennedy made an appearance in September of that year uh, and he went to Texas and he, he appeared before the Greater Houston Ministerial Association. This was a, a group of, of Protestant ministers and his whole purpose for going there, he gave a speech and there was a question and answer session afterward, but his his whole purpose for going there was to assure these, these Protestants that they didn't have anything to fear from having a, a Roman Catholic president that the, the Pope wasn't going to control him and, and that he would, would not govern based upon his uh, his Roman Catholic faith, you know, that the, the what the church told him wasn't going to matter. Well, you know, I, I'm a bit skeptical of, of what Kennedy said there, but but that was the story that he gave out. And in fact, you can watch his speech. There's, it's actually out there on YouTube. And I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes, just if you're interested, so you can take a look at it. Now, 60 years later, you know from 1960 here we are in 2020 and we have another roman catholic democratic presidential candidate in joe biden but as i mentioned earlier the thing that's interesting is that nobody seems to be much concerned about his roman catholicism unlike when al smith ran and unlike when john kennedy ran really nobody is 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 talking about joe biden's roman catholicism and i think that that's a big mistake Because his Roman Catholicism, and and as we're going to see here in just a minute, really informs his politics, it informs his economics, and the economics and politics of the Roman Catholic Church are at odds with the economics and politics of the historic uh, of the historic United States, I mean, the United States historically has been a Protestant nation, and it was it was founded on Protestant ideas. And even if those weren't expressly spelled out in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, when you look at the uh, the structure of our government, when you look at the structure of our economy, they are informed by Scripture. They're based on, on what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches something that John Robbins called constitutional capitalism. And that is the, the scriptures teach limited constitutional government and a capitalist free market economy. And, and Rome is opposed to both of those things. And what I'd like to do is take a look at some statements. And, and these are, are taken mostly from, um, from actually from Joe Biden's, um, Campaign website, interestingly enough. If you go out to Joe Biden's campaign website, there is uh, – he, he's got uh, uh, sort of the, the page. I think it's called Vision is what it's called. And If you go on that page, there are are 49 separate links. So they're like these, these tiles, and it'll say the Biden plan for this or the Biden plan for that. And one of these these tiles there, it has the title. It's called the Biden plan for the Catholic community. And it's, it's actually kind of interesting because when you, you look, if you look, do a word search on the word community on this page, you see a lot of different communities named. For instance, he's got a, a link there that's titled Biden's Plan for the AAPI Community. Now, when I saw that, I was like, oh, what's the AAPI community? I have no idea what that is. Well, if you click on the link, it tells you it's AAPI. It stands for Asian American and Pacific Islander. So the Asian-American, he Biden has a plan for the Asian-American and Pacific Islander community. He also has a a plan for the Indian-American community. He has a plan for the Jewish community, for the Muslim-American community, for the Latino community, for the Arab-American community. And... (laughs) It seems like he's got a, a plan for just about every community, except, uh, I, I suppose if, if you're a Protestant, apparently that doesn't somehow fit into his thinking, which isn't surprising because, because of course the, you know, the, the Biden, you know, the, the, the Democrats are really the, the party, sort of the anti-American party. And, and I wouldn't expect them to have a, a uh, a plan for the the Protestant community. And in fact, I guess really I, I should be be happy that they don't have one because whatever plan they would have, I'm sure would be be quite disingenuous and it, it's not something that would be helpful. So if if uh, if you're, you happen to be a Protestant and you you feel a little bit left out by the Joe Biden campaign, that's okay because there's there's really not a place for you uh, if you're an actual Bible believing Protestant. I mean, if you're a real Christian, there's really no place for you in the Democratic Party. Uh, Christians should not be voting for Joe Biden because his ideas are very much anti-Christian, and we're going to hope to to bring some of those ideas out to you here as we go through his uh, the statements on his website. So let's go back to the uh, the Biden plan for the Catholic community, and let's read through what he has to say here. So he starts off there's, there's sort of the I guess you might call it the the introduction or the preamble, what have you. I'll just read from in here. Here's what he says. Quote, I'm a practicing Catholic. I believe faith is a gift. And the first obligation we have is love your God. The second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Treat people with dignity. Everyone's entitled to dignity. That's a basic tenet of my household. That's what Vice President Joe Biden said. Well, yeah, I mean, he's right there, at least on the first two. Um, you know, we are called to, to love the Lord our God, God with all our heart. And we're also called to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, those are the first, uh, the sort of the summary of, of the law of God. And, and Jesus himself, uh, talked about that. So I don't have a problem with it. Now he says treat people with dignity. Everyone's entitled to dignity. I'm not really sure what. What that's supposed to mean, I don't know if there's any uh, statement in the scripture that says we have to to treat people with dignity. Um, it's kind of unclear actually what he means by that. But um, the the preamble continues, and this isn't a quote from uh, from Biden. It's uh, whoever the writer is of the, uh, the the document here. It says Vice President Joe Biden believes that in America, no matter where you start in life, everyone should be able to live up to their God given potential. He knows that we need to rebuild the middle class, and this time make sure everybody comes along, regardless of race, gender, religion, sexual orientation, or disability. Now, this, of course, this is one of the th- one of the things that really jumps out at you. If you're a Christian, you read this, is it talks about sexual orientation. Yeah, and and of course, for the Democrats, um, you know, sexual orientation, you know, whether someone is. Uh, uh, is heterosexual, or whether someone is homosexual, or someone has some sort of one of the many bizarre sorts of uh, gender identities that they have come up with uh, these days. That, that that's just as fine as if say biblical marriage, and and that's a lie. Um You know, sexual orientation does matter, and and in fact, I mean, if you look in the Old Testament, there were laws against. Uh, homosexuality in the Old Testament. And up until fairly recently in the United States, there were also laws against, uh, against homosexuality. I know, uh, Gordon Clark talks about this in some of his books, and he talks about, uh, that homosexuality was rightly suppressed. And of course, uh, Clark was right about that. There's no question about that. And, and that's something that, you know, it, it's not a, you know, the sinfulness of, of homosexuality is not something that, that really is up for debate. And I think you can make a very good argument from scripture that, that not only is it sinful, but it ought also to be illegal. But I know that that's not, uh, certainly not uh, something that's, uh, that's taught by the Democrats. And, and even, I think a lot of Republicans would be uncomfortable with the idea of, of outlawing homosexuality, but I think you can make a good case for that, uh, from the scriptures. But anyway, Biden, uh, continues, um, he has his uh, his plan for the Catholic community broken down into sort of several subheadings, and let's just go through each one of these. Now, the first of the subheadings that he has here in this section, uh, it says this, quote, build an economy where everyone comes along and we protect the least of these. And as you read through this particular section, one of the things that he highlights is is minimum wages. Now, minimum wage laws have long been an integral part of Roman Catholic economics. In his book, Ecclesiastical Megalomania, John Robbins noted, quote, The Roman Catholic priest John A. Ryan, 1869 to 1945, who has been called the foremost academician of the American Catholic social movement and derogatorily nicknamed the right revenue dealer, published his first book in 1906, A Living Wage its ethical and economic aspects. It was a sustained argument for a legally mandated minimum wage, which we have had nationally since the 1930s, end quote. That's on page 83 from Ecclesiastical Megalomania. And in a footnote on that same page, Robbins adds this. He says, quote, the deleterious effect of legally mandated minimum wages is one of the few ideas on which most economists are agreed, end quote. So, Minimum wages have seriously negative economic consequences, but the Roman Catholic Church has been pushing the uh, the idea of a minimum wage at least since 1906. And, and there are a number of problems with minimum minimum wages. Maybe the the first of which is that it causes unemployment. Minimum wages cause unemployment. Now that might seem a little little strange at first, but you think about it. If if somebody say an employee, maybe a, a new employee, maybe somebody who's never had a job before first starts working, you know, that person is probably going to have fairly limited uh productive ability. Maybe that person can only produce goods and services equal to maybe, say, $7 an hour. So if you come along as the government and you say, oh, well, we're going to make it illegal for you to hire this particular person to work for $7 an hour, we're going to mandate that you hire this person pay him Fifteen dollars an hour. Well, what do you think is going to happen? Is is that employer going to hire anybody? Probably not. If he if he's going to hire some low skill employees, maybe some entry level employees, he's going to hire as few as he possibly can, and he's going to make sure that uh, (laughs) you know to uh, you know he's going to make sure to to trim his costs such that he can try to make a profit. Now, one of the things that happens with minimum wage laws is not only do they create unemployment because it reduces the number of people who get hired, but minimum wage laws also encourage automation. For instance, you might have seen some things, oh, I don't know, in in the last uh, few years when some of these, you know, there's been talk about raising the national uh, minimum wage to $15 an hour. In some places, uh, some localities, I don't know if it's states, but I know some cities I think have done this. But there have been and there are ongoing experiments To create uh, like burger flipping robots and in doing things, you know, fast food restaurants, for instance, that hire a lot of uh, low wage employees, they're doing everything they can to try to automate. So, I mean, you know, the higher you raise the minimum wage, the more attractive automation becomes. Yeah, I mean, and you could end up with a case where, you know, it, it kind of becomes like gas stations. You know, I was I'm old enough I remember as a kid that they used to have gas station attendants. You know, you'd pull up and the gas station would come come out and he'd he'd pump your gas, he'd clean your windshield, he'd he'd check the uh, the oil level in your engine, this sort of thing. Well, when was the last time you saw that? I mean, it's probably been 40 years since they had gas station attendants. You know, everything is self-service now. And I think some of that you wouldn't be surprised if you go back and you look at it is probably has something to do with minimum wage laws. But I mean, the, you know, the gas station attendant has disappeared. And I mean, you could very well see that happen to the fast food worker or or probably people in in other types of positions. If you raise minimum wages higher and high enough, that is going to happen. It's going to happen. Now, just to give you another example sort of, of, of minimum wages, there was a, an article that I have um, that quotes the uh, Bishop of San Diego, a fellow by the name of Robert McElroy, and he argues this. He says, quote, for Catholic social teaching, the surest pathway to economic justice is the provision of meaningful and sustainable work for all men and women capable of work. Work is thus a profoundly sacred reality. It protects human dignity, even as it spiritually riches that dignity. If we truly are in our work co-creators with God, don't we think that that deserves at least $15 an hour? McElroy asked in his first of three endorsements of an increase in the minimum wage to that level, end quote. Now, I think it's kind of funny here because, of course, uh, McElroy talks about uh, that, that when we work, we're co-creators with God. Well, if we're co-creators with God, my goodness, $15 an hour seems like an awfully low salary, Right. I mean, if if we're doing the Lord's work, I mean, why not make it $150 an hour or $1,000 an hour? I mean, my goodness. I mean, if we're co-creators with God, I think it deserves at least $1,000 an hour. <laughs> I, it, it's kind of a silly argument. And I, I, you know, the, basically the, the reason that, that we're paid, that, that people are paid what they are is based on the value of what they produce. You know, and if someone doesn't produce... At, you know, produce more than $15 an hour of, uh, of profit for a company or $15 doesn't generate $15 of revenue for a company. Then, you know, to ask a company to pay that person $15 an hour is, is really, you're, you're asking the, the company to take a hit. And of course, that's, that's, uh, one of the, uh, the hidden implications of, um, Uh, of minimum wage laws is you want to impose costs on business. You want to interfere in the free market. And that's, that's of course, one of the the big goals of the Roman Catholic Church is constantly interfering in the economy. And uh, they openly talk about that. In fact, a lot of uh, Roman Catholic officials use that term, interference. And, of course, Joe Biden, as a good Roman Catholic, wants to interfere in the economy with a $15 an hour minimum wage. So let's go on to the, the next header there in the, uh, the Biden uh, the plan for the, the Catholic community. He says this, quote, respect the dignity of work and give workers back the power to earn what they're worth. End quote. Now, here Biden attacks capitalism and promotes unionism. Here's a quote from this. uh, Quote, Joe will start by strengthening unions and helping workers bargain successfully for what they deserve. His plan will check the abuse of corporate power over labor and hold corporate executives personally accountable for violations of labor laws. End quote. Now, this type of language from Roman Catholic officials goes back to the late 19th century. Again, in in Ecclesiastical Megalomania, John Robbins quoted uh, Cardinal James Gibbons of Baltimore. And uh, James Gibbons believed that the labor movement and state intervention, both of these things Biden supports. He supports the labor movement and, and state intervention, were, quote, the most efficacious means, almost the only means, to combat individual and corporate monopolies and their heartless avarice, which, through greed of gain, piteously grinds not only the men, but even the women and children. In various employments, end quote. So it, when when Biden talks as he does here, I mean again this this particular st- uh, statement of Biden that that he's going to strengthen unions and hold corporate executives personally accountable for violations of labor laws and things of this sort. Um, I mean he's really just drawing on Roman Catholic social teaching, going back to the the end of the nineteenth, uh, early twentieth century. I mean, this is this is Roman Catholic stuff. In fact, you know, a great deal of the the labor movement in the United States is promoted by the Roman Catholic Church. You know, the the unionism and all, uh, and, and really some of the the uh, deleterious effects of of unionism, uh, that is something that has historically been promoted by Rome. Now, the fourth header there in uh, in. Uh, in Biden's uh, plan for the Catholic community, he says this quote, endure that affordable, uh, endure that, af- that affordable, or ensure, excuse me, I have a typo there, quote, ensure that affordable quality health care is a right for all Americans, end quote. Now, a health care course is not a right that one can get from the scriptures, but it is a right according to Rome. And Biden's statement has longstanding support from the Roman church state. In a December first, twenty thirteen interview with NBC, then Cardinal Timothy Dolan of New York claimed the U.S. bishops have supported universal health care since nineteen nineteen. Now, in the uh, there's, there's a fact checking organization called PolitiFact, and they actually did a fact check on this. Sorry, I had to get a little drink of coffee there. Uh, PolitiFact did a fact check on Timothy Dolan's statement, and what it found out. Big drum roll here is Colonel Timothy Dolan was telling the truth. And PolitiFact cited that there was a a document that was produced in 1919. It was called the Bishop's Program of Social Reconstruction. And it was put out under the leadership of John A. Ryan. Now, John A. Ryan, you might remember from something we said just a few minutes ago. John A. Ryan is the same guy who supported minimum wage he wrote that book in 1906 well 13 years later in 1919 he comes back and he heads up this uh, US bishops this was the the precursor organization of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops i think they were just called the US the United States Bishops um at the time but uh, anyway he he headed up this group of US bishops and they put out this this document called the Program of Social Reconstruction the Bishops Program of Social Reconstruction and in that in that document put out in 1919, they pushed for nationalized health care. And, of course, this is what we got under Obama. And in, on his website, Joe Biden wants to expand Obamacare. <laughs> it's kind of funny now Obamacare the, the official name for Obamacare is the Affordable Care Act and a couple years ago I, I did some uh, some tax preparation and I remember in our, our training we were told we're not supposed to use we're not supposed to call it Obamacare. It's called the Affordable Care Act. Uh, but the problem is, is whenever you would, would ask people questions about the Affordable Care Act, they'd look at you with this, this odd look on their face. And then if you'd say, it's Obamacare. Oh, oh yeah, I've heard of that. So, <laughs> so nationalized healthcare in the United States, even though it's officially called the Affordable Care Act, uh, which it, it's not really affordable, but it's officially called the Affordable Care Act, but it's popularly known as Obamacare. So Obamacare is. Really, an offshoot of what uh, was really inspired by the Roman Roman Church State by the, the socialism of the Roman Church State, and of course, as a as a good son of Rome, Joe Biden wants to to expand that. Uh, he wants to uh, to to make it even bigger than what it is. And I think that if he really had his way, you would end up with full national health care in the United States. Now, going on to the next uh, subsection here. In uh, Biden's plan for the Roman Catholic community, he says this, quote, pursue a humane immigration policy that keeps families together, strengthens our economy and secures the border. Now, here Biden goes all out in supporting the post-program of mass taxpayer subsidized immigration, migration, and refugee resettlement. In fact, you know, this entire section, if you read through it on on immigration, it may as well have been written by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. And for all I know, it, it very well could have been written by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops because... Yeah, you know, I mean, when you look through it, I mean, it's, it's everything that the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops has ever asked for in any of their press releases or statements or official policy papers. And in fact, really, the, this whole section. Yeah, that, uh, Biden's plan for the Catholic community, for all I know, it very well may have been written in consultation with the U.S. Conference of Catholic, Catholic, bishops. I wouldn't be at all surprised if that were the case. There's nothing that says that, but if you just read through header, you know, subheader after subheading after subheading, you see how, how much really what Biden is saying echoes the official statements of the Roman Catholic Church. And of course, uh, he does that here with immigration. You know, his plan is to push DACA. And that is to uh, the idea of creating a uh, a pathway for for people who were were brought here as children who uh, are not American citizens. He wants to reward illegal immigrants with a pathway to citizenship. He wants to expand temporary protected status. In other words, basically, all you have to do is get in the United States and Joe Biden wants to keep you here. And not only does he want to keep you here, but he wants to shower you with fabulous cash and prizes. You know, that's what the Pope teaches. That's what the U.S. Congress, the Catholic bishops teach. And of course, that's what Joe Biden teaches. Now, it's kind of funny because Joe Biden in here, he talks, talks also about border security and all of this, but that, that's just eyewash. I mean, it's window dressing. It's, it's nonsense. The idea here is to bring in as many migrants, refugees, asylees, uh, immigrants, what have you, and, and have them all vote for the Democrats. I mean that's how the Democrats build their constituency. They they bring people in, they shower them with with uh, massive amounts of U.S. taxpayer money, and uh, as a quid pro quo, then they get their votes. You know that that's how that that immigration scam works. And nowhere in here is the interest of the American people really in view. As I said, he he makes some noises to to pretend like they're going to uh, increase border security and, and things of this sort, but that, that's not going to happen. You know, that's not going to happen. The idea here is to flood the country with as many uh, Roman Catholic voting migrants, uh, Democrat, I should say, voting migrants, and preferably Roman Catholics as, as possible. That's that's the whole idea behind this. The next subheader here, he says, quote, serve as stewards of our creation and protect our planet against climate change, end quote. Now, this is really interesting here. This one Biden begins by saying this under that that subheader about about climate change. He says this quote: In his encyclical Laudato Si', Pope Francis directed the global community to raise awareness about the growing climate change crisis. End quote. Now this this really caught my eye. When, you know, at the, at the beginning of this, this podcast, you know, I told you there's that story about Al Smith, who when he was challenged on some statements in a papal encyclical, encyclical, you know, his response was, well, would somebody please tell me what a papal encyclical is? You know, he, he claimed not even to know what a papal encyclical was. Well, here we have Joe Biden. You know, that was Al Smith ran 1928. So that's what 92 years ago. So fast forward from 1928 to 2020. And here we have uh, Joe Biden. He's quoting. Uh, Pope Francis in his encyclical Laudato Si. I think it's kind of interesting how, <laughs> yeah, you know, how much more brazen, how much more open uh, Roman Catholics have come when it have become, or Roman Catholic presidential candidates have become inciting Rome. You know, John F. Kennedy could not have done that in 1960. He would never have been elected had he quoted a papal encyclical as part of his. Uh, uh as part of his campaign program i was go- i was going to say as part of his website but of course <laughs> i don't think they had websites back in 1960 but if if they had had a website doubtless uh, kennedy would have if they had the uh, the internet i should say i'm sure uh, kennedy would have had a website and i'm i'm sure he would have had uh, some policy positions out there and i'm pretty sure that he would not have directly quoted the pope or a or a papal encyclical now one of the things that's interesting too in laudato si Uh, And that was that was uh, Laudato Si'. That's the 2015 encyclical by Pope Francis. Essentially, Laudato Si'. It's I think it's probably helpful to say this. It's it's uh, essentially Rome's Green New Deal. Maybe you remember the the Green New Deal that got rolled out by the Democrats. Uh, I think it was uh, Ocasio Cortez. She was the one that was driving this, and it just has all this economy killing, uh, just. Just nonsense in it. I mean, if if you actually were to try to impose the Green New Deal, it would destroy the economy. I mean, it it would send us all back to essentially uh, a pre-industrial civilization or something kind of close to that. And maybe that's really the idea. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's that's kind of the idea behind it. You know, they want basically to create this this two-tier society where you have a very few uh, wealthy lords of the manor and you have a bunch of serfs. And one of the ways that you can get there the fastest would be by implementing the Green New Deal. It would be an absolute disaster for the United States of America and for any country uh, that did implement that. But Laudato Si is essentially Rome's, Rome's version of the Green New Deal. Now, one of the, the interesting features in Laudato Si is that Francis favorably quoted one of his predecessors, Benedict XVI, who called for world government. Let me, let me read you this quote from Laudato Si. Quote, to manage the global economy, to revive economies hit by the crisis, to avoid any deterioration of the present crisis and the greater imbalances that would result to bring about integral and timely disarmament, food security and peace to guarantee the protection of the environment. Let me go back and read that again to guarantee the protection of the environment and to regulate migration for all this drum roll. There is an urgent need for a true world political authority. As my predecessor blessed John the 23rd indicated some years ago. So, that is, is uh, Francis, the current pope, quoting Benedict the Sixteenth, who was his immediate predecessor, uh, who himself was quoting John the Twenty Third from back. That was probably uh, a quote from back in uh, maybe the nineteen sixties or so, uh, when uh, when John the Twenty Third was pope. But going back at least to so so, I mean, you have here at least three three popes positively talking about world government. And one of the reasons for world government is for the protection of the environment. He also mentions to regulate migration as, as well. So we need world government both to impose the Green New Deal and also to impose max taxpayer subsidized immigration, migration, and refugee resettlement. That's why we need, th- those are a couple of reasons why we need world government. So, I mean, if you've got Joe Biden here, uh, positively quoting the papal encyclical Laudato Si, which says explicitly, and it doesn't imply it, it says explicitly that we need world government to protect the environment. I think it's reasonable to, to question, you know, does Joe Biden believe in world government? And I would have to say, yeah, he, he probably does. He probably does. You know, and and this is one of the things that, that's absolutely fascinating to me is just how open the Roman Catholic Church is about world government, and yet almost nobody knows about it. You know, you you watch. I mean, if you're like me, you know, I, I watch a lot of uh, say alternate media. You know, people that aren't you know independent journalists and, and such like that, that aren't connected with you know the the mainstream media you know the mainstream tv networks or the the uh the major newspapers or or mag news magazines things of this sort yeah you know, watch a lot of youtubers a lot of bloggers uh, a lot of podcasters and things and you see a lot of these guys you know they they will rightfully criticize um you know globalists they rightfully criticize um you know, people like the, you know, the Rothschilds or George Soros or the Rockefellers or the Council on Foreign Relations or the Trilateral Commission or the UN and, and some of these other globalist type uh, individuals or organizations, but they almost never, never, never mention the Pope. And that's absolutely fascinating. It's like they have a complete blind spot for this. And yet, I mean, you've got the Pope out there. You've got Pope after Pope after Pope after Pope coming out and saying, yeah, we think world government, we think that's just awesome. We think that's the most amazing thing there is. There is no bigger promoter of globalism than the Roman Catholic Church. What the Roman Catholic Church is trying to do is to create on a worldwide scale what it created in Europe during the Middle Ages. I mean, in Europe during the Middle Ages, you didn't have independent sovereign nations, you had the Roman Catholic Church basically bossing everybody around. And it wasn't until the Reformation came along and subsequent to that Thirty Years' War where basically Rome had the sword knocked out of its hands to a large degree. Um, you know, it was the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648 that eliminated Roman Catholic political control over large portions of Europe—that is, the, of, the portions of Europe where the Reformation was dominant—it ended. It, you know, Rome could no longer dominate, you know, England. Rome could no longer dominate the Netherlands. Or or other countries, and that was the result of the Treaty of Westphalia that was signed in 1648. It created what we now know as the Westphalian world order. A lot, of, almost nobody knows this because hardly anybody talks about it. But the current world order that we have, the idea that that uh, that national government is to be the highest level of government, and that 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 one sovereign nation doesn't have any business interfering in the internal affairs of another sovereign nation, it, what that is—that's the Westphalian world order in a nutshell. Now, most people would say, "Well, that's just common sense." Well, I, actually, it isn't. It took the Protestant Reformation and a, and a thirty years' war to establish those ideas, because in most of human history, most most nations, most uh, organizations have been dominated. You know, the the primary organizing principle, I should say, of of international politics has been empire. You know, you think back in the Bible, you know, you had, you know, you had the Egyptians, you had the Egyptian Empire, you had the Assyrian Empire, you had the Babylonian Empire. And of course, in the New Testament, you have the Roman Empire. And I haven't even mentioned, you know, the Greek Empire, the, uh, the empire that, that really existed sort of a, between the Old Testament and New Testament. You know, the, the whole Bible chronicles these, these massive, um, international, uh, empires. You know, and, and then you had, you had, uh, you had Israel as, as a small, uh, independent nation. And, and that's really, you know, and I, you know, now's not really the time to get into the whole thing about, uh, you know, globalism versus versus the Westphalian world order. But I at least wanted to mention that. And, and what you're seeing, you know, you, you hear sometimes about this conflict between the New World Order uh, or, or you hear a lot about the New World Order. Well, the New World Order is geopolitical. Romanism, that's what that is. The Westphalian world order is geopolitical Protestantism. You know, the the the, the Westphalian world order is biblical and scriptural. The New World Order is really ultimately a, a creature of the Roman Catholic Church. And these two systems don't go together. But here you have a Roman Catholic Joe Biden praising a document in which the Pope calls for world government. You know, and that's not surprising. I mean, you would expect that. And so, I mean, again, you have to really ask yourself, Do you know, is, is Joe Biden a globalist? Yeah, yeah, I, I think he is. And not just for this reason either. I mean, you can find other statements of his that, that are very much globalist in nature. And if he is elected president, he's going to push the United States in the direction of reduced national sovereignty and increased globalism. That's what's going to happen. So anyway, um just wanted to, to wrap this up. I guess we're going on, you know, well, it's probably been, uh it's been over half an hour here. So I wanted to just make a few closing points here for you today. Um, You know, in, in Revelation chapter two, Jesus admonished, admonished the church at Ephesus. He told them, you have left your first love. And I wonder sometimes if the same thing can't be said of the American Protestant church. You know, it's almost as if we've forgotten our calling to contend earnestly for the faith. And in place of that, we've we've instead tried to to seek a place at the table of acceptable public opinion. Now, this of course was the goal of the neo-evangelicals in the years after World War II. Yeah, you know, after World War II when uh, when the, uh, the neo-evangelicals started uh, organizing, what they wanted to do is regain, they wanted to regain their lost, uh, their lost influence, their lost cultural power. And they willingly laid aside those teachings that they thought would be unpopular in a larger American society. So they said, Oh, you know, we don't, we don't want to criticize the Roman Catholic Church because what we want to do is we want to reach out to broader society and we want to bring people in, in with, uh, you know, I guess it's, it's that old saying, you know, you catch, uh, uh, you know, you catch more flies with honey, right? So, I mean, what they wanted to do is they wanted to 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 kind of set aside all those those kind of those those awkward and offensive doctrines, you know, and things such as criticism of the Roman Catholic Church, you know, calling the identifying the Pope as as uh, the Antichrist or identifying Rome as the Babylonian Harlot. You don't want to do that. Oh my gosh, you know that that's that's socially unacceptable. That's embarrassing. And so they 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 eliminated that. And not only did the neo-evangelicals eliminate Criticism of Rome, but they actually positively reached out to Rome. You know, you think about the most famous uh, evangelist in the post World War II period was Billy Graham. And of course, Billy Graham was a big time ecumenist. You know, he invited Roman Catholic priests to his, uh, his crusades and, and he and he would, would send people, you know, and, and the crusades would send those people back to, back to Rome. You know, and that's an enormous betrayal of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what Billy Graham did there. Um, you know, but he did that and he became very popular. I mean he was without question. the most popular, the most famous evangelist, certainly in the, the second half of the 20th century. there's no doubt about that. And and the thing is that didn't start with Billy Graham and it didn't really even start with the neo-evangelicals after World War II. This was something that goes back back into the 1800s. And you know, back in the 1800s, there were uh, American liberal Protestants. They were seeking co-belligerence with Rome, uh, at least as far back as the 1880s. John Robbins talks about this in his book *Ecclesiastical Megalomania*. And and now we're at the point, you know, after well over a hundred years of this this growing co-belligerence with the Roman Catholic Church, we're now at the point where no one ask yourself this: When was the last time you heard anybody? Any any preacher, any uh, Christian teacher, anybody criticise the politics or the economics of the Roman Catholic Church. When was the last time you ever heard anybody say, you know, Joe Biden, um, you know, his ideas are are pretty dangerous. And in fact, his his Roman Catholicism, in his own words, I mean, we've gone through here, we've we've looked at, at Joe Biden in his his own words on his own campaign website, and we can see how. Point after point after point, the things that he advocates as a Roman Catholic, and he specifically cites his Roman Catholicism as the inspiration for all of this, is at odds with what's good for the United States of America and and what the Bible teaches. But yet nobody calls him out on this. You know, you hear a lot of people saying, as I mentioned earlier, they say, oh, well, well, Joe Biden, you know, he's he's in the hip pocket of the progressives. Well, I, I think, you know, the, the secular progressives do have a lot of influence on him. But, you know, people focus all their attention on the progressives and they forget about the fact that there is a tremendous amount of Roman Catholic influence on Joe Biden's thinking. In fact, there was an article that I found. This was... uh this is kind of interesting. This, this goes back a little ways. This goes back to 2014. I'm going to read this to you here anyway. Uh, the, the headline in the article says, Joe Biden defends Pope Francis on economics as a practicing Catholic. In the subheadline it reads, On Wednesday, the Obama administration's most prominent Catholic slammed one of the Pope's most prominent American conservative detractors. As a practicing Catholic, bless me, Father, for he has sinned. And, and what this was is when Pope Francis became Pope, and this was back in 2013, toward the end of 2013, he wrote this, uh, um, it was called an Apostolic Exhortation. And it was called, um, oh, uh, Evangelii Gaudium. Yeah, it was Evangelii Gaudium, which is, it's a Latin, that's uh, a Latin title. It means the joy of the gospel. And in that, that, uh that exhortation, Pope Francis was actually very critical of, of capitalism, and a lot of people were upset. And let me just read a little bit from this article uh, to you. This is an article. It's actually from BuzzFeed. Vice President uh, Vice President Biden, and of course, this was in 2013, so he was uh, Vice President under Barack Obama. Says Vice President Biden went out of his way at a speech to the United Auto Workers Union Wednesday to take on one of Pope Francis' strongest critics. Quote: A couple of weeks ago, Ken Langone who I don't know, a billionaire founder of Home Depot, predicted that the Pope, Pope Francis' critique of income inequality will be, quote, a hurdle for very wealthy Catholic donors who seem to think hurt feelings trump the teachings of the Bible, end quote, Biden said, referring to a December interview with the Home Depot founder. And um, Langone had some critical things to say about Pope Francis, And it goes on to say that uh, Biden appeared amazed by the comments as a Democrat pushing the Obama administration's income equality message. So I see there's more socialism. As the most prominent Catholic on the president's team, Biden seemed to be personally offended by the comments. And here's Biden again, quote, as a practicing Catholic, bless me, Father, for he has sinned, end quote. Biden said he paused, quote, I mean, come on, come on. What are we talking about today? End quote. Yeah, you know, There it is. Come on, man. You know, isn't that what Joe Biden always says out on the, on the campaign? He's like, come on, man. <laughs> so I guess he's been saying that at least since 2013, I suppose, probably a, a lot sooner. Um, and the article goes on to say, it's not the first time Biden has embraced Francis, a pope who has energized the left in America, despite his adherence to the church's positions on social issues, while alienating some of the right with his economic views. President Obama is set to meet with Francis at the Vatican in March, and the president said he's, quote, hugely impressed, end quote, with the pontiff. Um, so anyway, you know, so you have Biden going back, and he's defending, you know, Pope Francis's uh, uh, leftism, you know, his, his socialism, uh, his anti-capitalism, going back to at least 2013. So, I mean, Biden has a long track record of supporting this type of thing. And he supports it based on, as he tells us, based on his Catholic faith. I mean, that that is integral to what he believes. You know, the the, the truth of the matter is the Roman Catholic Church is opposed in its teaching to the very principles of the American Republic. It always has been. It always will be. You know, the, the American Republic is founded on... Uh, substantially Christian ideas, you know, the the idea of constitutional capitalism, you know, that is the economic and the political and economic expression of Christianity is constitutional capitalism, limited constitutional government, and economic liberty. And Rome opposes both of these. And because Rome opposes both of these, to the extent that any one Roman Catholic, you know, follows the teaching of the church and doesn't think for himself, Essentially, he's become a, uh, become opposed to the United States of America and to our way of life. And, and when you, you read to our institutions, to our constitution, to our system of economics. And when you read what Joe Biden says, you can see very clearly his Roman Catholicism puts him at odds with our constitution. It puts him at odds with our, our belief in, in private property. And for these reasons, he has no business being anywhere near the White House. Now there are some Roman Catholics who inconsistently do support capitalism, uh, and and I think they're sincere. And when they when they say that Joe Biden is definitely not one of them, Joe Biden is uh, actually a pretty doctrinaire Roman Catholic when it comes to politics and economics. And again, he has no business being anywhere near the White House because very obviously. The, the church's teaching have a great deal of influence with him. And if he does become president, there's no question about the fact that the, the current pope and, and the Roman Catholic church in general is going to, to have a big effect on the kinds of policies that he implements. Well, that about wraps everything up for today. I wanted to say thanks for listening. I really do appreciate that. This is actually kind of a a first for me. If you're listening to the podcast, you can't tell what I'm actually doing. For the very first time, I'm doing a live stream on on Twitter. Uh, For all I know, maybe nobody will be watching, but uh, that's probably okay since I'm just kind of practicing here anyway today on the the live streaming. I'm not even sure how the audio is going to come out on that. Maybe it'll be unlistenable. I don't know. But hopefully the podcast will at least be listenable. So anyway, thanks very much for listening. I really do appreciate it. That um, I'm going to go ahead and get this posted out to my blog. I'm also going to get it posted to uh, Thorn Crown Ministries website. Uh, one thing, you know, if if you do, if you find this podcast helpful, if you find it interesting, if you find that it helps uh, clarify some things for you, and you appreciate the the work that I do, you may want to think about um, uh, donating to support the work of, of Radio Lux Lucid. I'm going to have on the blog. I have a, uh, a little. Uh, donation box on there if you want to you can donate through stripe and appreciate any uh any uh, donation any support you might uh, might give so uh, please consider doing that and as I go I just want to leave you with this thought happy reformation day once again it's uh, the 503rd anniversary of the protestant reformation uh, when the uh, light of the gospel of jesus christ once again was uh, shined forth into the world and that's something we all can celebrate and i wish you all uh, a blessed lord's day and until next time may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study god's word goodbye everybody